you've been with us for a few weeks, you know what we've been talking about. We're, we're spending some time looking at the very last uh, words of Jesus on the cross, the, the last things he said. And we've said a few times already in this series that the last things that anyone would say have great meaning, right, for us. But when we're thinking about Christ, especially so, it must matter the very last things he said to those he was around, we're gonna talk about that today, and uh, what he wanted to communicate to, to them and to us. Uh, we're in the last two weeks of this season called Lent, uh, which we don't normally recognize, but I've been thinking about that this year as we head into Easter, and then we're gonna um, continue in a series called Easter People uh, starting uh, in two weeks from now. Well, three weeks, I suppose. However you do the math on that. Um, so uh, today we're gonna talk about not just Jesus' final words, uh, but his final word. And uh, like I said, there's seven sayings that are attributed to Jesus on the cross as he uh, was dying for our sins and the sins of the entire world. But this will, today will be actually one word, a final word that Jesus offers from the cross. Um, it might be the most profound word in all of scripture, and it's only found where we're gonna read it in the Gospel of John. So I'm gonna invite you to check out the video. you to pray with me as we enter into God's word. Father God, we thank you for your scripture that reveals truth to us, that uh, shapes our lives, that instructs us on how we ought to uh, think and live differently. This morning, Father, we confess to you. We have no wisdom of our own. We're totally dependent on you to be our teacher. Um, we've, we've come to you uh, daily, weekly, monthly, yearly, our whole lives to seek wisdom and knowledge, understanding, and uh, a right um, condition in this life. And so, Father, would you help us this morning? Would you open your word to us? Would you help our minds to understand it and our hearts uh, to believe it, um, that we might uh, live differently, that you might teach us, Father? We pray that you would do this because only you can by the power of your Holy Spirit, and we pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. So I'm going to invite you actually to turn to that very scripture, John uh, 19, verse 30. And if you were here last week, you'll know that this is the very next verse. So last week, we spent some time talking about Jesus saying from the cross, words that were perplexing, I am thirsty, and why would Jesus be thirsty? And we talked about that last week a little bit. But this week, we're going to talk about the very next verse. And so I'm going to read, I'm not going to read, I'm going to read just that verse this morning um, that we just heard, and we're going to spend some time talking about it. John chapter 19, verse 30. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished with that, he bowed uh, his head and he gave up his spirit. One little sentence. I said before, the crucifixion of Christ is almost a passing comment in the Gospels. Then they crucified him. And now you have this one sentence that encompasses this profound reality 
that in that moment, Jesus gave up his very spirit, the spirit, it says. Um, a couple things I want to talk about is, looking at this, it says the very first, in uh, verse 30, the first word is actually not captured in the NIV. You might have a different translation. Yours might say it. But it actually says, therefore, or accordingly. And I wanted to kind of remember that from last week. Well, according to what or therefore, why? Like, why is that there? And there was two things we talked about. Because scripture had been fulfilled. We talked about that, right? That the things that Jesus came to do, he had done, right? And that all things were accomplished. And I mentioned that last week, and, and uh, I, I say this is the most profound word today, and maybe in all of scripture, but um, the word is tetelestai in the Greek. I'm not going to be super nerdy about that, except to say it's one utterance, and it means that all things are accomplished. It's finished, Tetelestai. And so that's what actually last week we heard was there were two reasons because scripture is fulfilled and all things had been accomplished, right? So uh, this says then at that point when he had taken the drink of sour vinegar, right? Vinegar water. When he had tasted that, he said it is finished. Scripture being fulfilled, not just in that moment, but in his ministry and life. Jesus said those words, it is finished or Literally from the cross, in the Greek it's translated, or it's written, tetelestai, right? Um, and then having bowed his head, he gave up his spirit. This is the final moment of Jesus' Jesus's earthly life. It's the moment that he surrenders to God everything that's God's. Everything is given over. Um, as a matter of fact, the head bowing thing, we understand uh, naturally, but that final breath, I want to make a small point here, and then we're going to get into talking about that final word. It says that he gave up his spirit. It doesn't say he it slipped away, or he lost it. It's, it's an active action for Jesus. It, it means to hand it over in the Greek. It means to turn it over, to give it back, to... Um, to deliver or simply to give. And Jesus, having done all he could do on the cross, gave his spirit. And I wonder, well, why would Jesus give over his spirit? You know, you always think about that. Lord, just one more breath, just one more moment, just one more thing why did Jesus do that? I think it's captured in that word, tetelestai. We're going to focus on this this morning, that word tetelestai in the Greek, which means it has been finished or it has been completed. Let me tell you, there was nothing more Jesus needed to do in this life when he gave up his breath. There was nothing left undone for him. The word, it says, it is finished, but it has been finished. And um, it's, it's got this uh, connotation of it's perfectly complete. It's completely fulfilled, or everything is brought to an end. I would say this, that tetelestai is the period on the end of the sentence of Jesus' life. Wait, his pre-resurrection life. I've struggled to understand that because we can have this moment where we recognize Jesus giving up his very life for us, 
And, and, and those disciples certainly thought, well, that's it. I mean, you saw what happened after they saw Jesus die on the cross. But we have to always be mindful for Jesus and for us that that last breath in his pre-resurrection life is just that. I love that new song that we sang today because it's reminding us there's something else coming. Did you hear the words we sang? When the darkness closed it in, light began to break through. The heavens were screaming out. The heavens were shouting praise. Jesus, in that moment, says it is finished and gives up his breath, knowing, Tetelestai, knowing all things were finished. There was nothing left to do. This is going to be huge. We're going to kind of walk up to it, walk up to the cosmology of what that means. But I want to start here by saying uh, that if you read the text carefully, now if you look at your Bibles, in verse 29 it says, a jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked the sponge in it and put the sponge, uh, wait, wait, let's go 28. Later, yeah, yeah, here it is, 28. Later, knowing that all was now completed, so the scripture will be fulfilled. We talked about it last week. I'm not gonna re-preach it, but I want you to see in the text that in verse 28, Jesus knew all things were done. He, he had knowledge, that's what the word says there, that he, Gnosko, he knew all things were done for him then, and yet he did these final things. He asked for the drink, he said, I'm thirsty, and then after tasting it, he said the word, tetelestai. I wonder why. Why is it not enough that Jesus knows that it's all done, but then in verse 30, he goes and he actually says it's all done. He certainly had done all the work needed to be done, and you can imagine that there was no requirement that he would articulate to those who were around that it was finished. He could have just known it. My time has come. It's over. My life is done. This period of my existence is over. But Jesus says the words aloud, or the word, tetelestai, meaning it is finished so I kind of have three questions. I want to walk through them. What is Jesus saying when he says, Tetelestai? Why is he saying it and to whom? Okay? So talk about those three things. I mentioned this a little bit earlier, but um, the, uh, when I say, what is Jesus saying? Uh, the, the Greek is third person, singular, perfect, passive, indicative. You don't have to know what that means, except to know that when Jesus says the word, I don't want you to be confused and think he's saying, I am finished. That's not in the Greek. It's not there. He's not saying, I am finished. He says, it, third person, is finished. Third person, singular, right? Not they are finished or, or we are finished, but it, this thing, this other, is finished. Perfectly finished, that's why we can get the translation, has been, has been. It's over, it's done. There's six uses of that word in the Greek, in the Greek culture at the time. Because you go, well, well, why would he say it? Why say that out loud? Well, there were six uses um, that were common in the time that Jesus was crucified for the word tetelestai. And I think they're insightful, right? Um, the first is that the, an artist when they were creating something, right? Like, talking about Drew built this last week, a couple weeks ago, right? And, and matter of fact, last Sunday, if you saw, he had black fingernails because I, I thought he was, you know, in a fashion statement, he said the stain 
wouldn't come off his fingernails because he had to touch it up. But in the last moment, he would go, it's finished. I think he probably says it, it may not be finished yet. I don't know, but we think it's finished. An artist who is sculpting something from, from marble looks at it and works at it and chips away and works and works and at the end stands back and they would say, and you know, they were big sculptors, right, Greece, it's finished, Tedalistai. It's, it's, it's ready. So that's, that's the first common use. The second would be a servant who's doing the work of his master. I don't know if any of you are servants doing the work of your master, but many of us have jobs and you're doing your job, right? At the end of the day, you go, it's finished. How many of your jobs are never finished? Yeah, that's right. Yeah. But sometimes you get that one moment where you say, that thing is finished. That part, that responsibility, that event is finished. A servant would say that at the end. Have you done your work today? And the servant would say, it's finished. I've done my work. I finished it. The, the, the third would be uh, a priest. Now, this is interesting, right? But a priest who would, who would see a worthy sacrifice, a lamb without spot or blemish, they would examine it. You would bring your very best to the temple, and he would look, and if it was acceptable, he would say, this tetelestai, it's finished, it's good. So there'd be an examination of a sacrifice offering, tetelestai. This one's fascinating. The merchants in the uh, public square would um, give you uh, a bill for services rendered, right? And whenever um, you paid it off, they would write on it, Tetalistai. Um, I don't know if you guys go to Sam's Club at all, but you gotta stand in that dumb line to leave the store. I hate that line. I'm like, what is this? I already waited in the line. I wait another line. And you gotta wait for that person to stand there and bloop, bloop, blop, bloop, and then they just check. That's all we do, check it. But if in that day, when you were leaving the store, they would write Tedalistai on that. So you knew that it was paid for. You knew you owned it. No one was gonna question later. Matter of fact, what the word meant in that case was, um, that the debt had been paid, in fact, paid in full. So you have tetelestai. The merchants would say, you've paid for what you owe. The fifth were the warriors or the soldiers in the field. And, and after a long, hard-fought battle, at the end, they would set back and say, tetelestai, we're finished. By the way, how great would it be if we were done with war? Oof, do you feel that in your soul? If you could just say, Tetalistai, we're done. We're done with this. Well, warriors, after a hard fight, would say, Tetalistai, in victory. We've accomplished it. And then lastly, and not least, by the way, is a prisoner, when they were incarcerated in the day, they would literally put their charges on the cell. So when you walked by, you could see what they were accused of. We were actually traveling a few weeks ago, as you know, and uh, they had those stockades that you could pose for a dumb tourist picture, which I'm proud to say we did not do. Okay, you can do it, you guys do it, but they had the stockades. It was actually raining, probably why we didn't do it, but uh, 
but they would do that, but they would, but they would have the prisoners in the cells and they would put their charges over their door and the sentence they had to pay for it. So what your crime is and then what your, your obligation is to pay it back. But most interestingly, in the culture, when you left, you brought your paper and the guards would write across the top of it, tetelestai, meaning you've paid it. And guess why you wanted that? Because if anyone ever came back and accused you of having done what you have done, you could pull out the paper and say, look, I paid my debt. I, I did that, but my debt is paid. Ha, you could call it this way, freedom papers. You, had, you showed that you had paid what you owed. You were free. And actually, we're gonna expound on that next week in the last week in the series on what it means to be a prisoner. So, so that's, that's what Jesus is saying there is that there's these kind of all these ways of saying it's finished and the culture would know, the people writing, the people reading the letter would know uh, what's being communicated when Jesus says on the cross, tetelestai, it is finished. Well, then why? Why, why is he saying uh, it's finished? I wanna walk again from the from the smaller ideas to the bigger, I guess I would say. The first is that I, his pre-resurrection ministry was finished. I'm always amazed to think um, that Jesus had three years of active ministry that we know of. He lived about 33 years, right? Around 30 is whenever he was called into uh, ministry, if you will. I mean, he was made for it. He was born into it. I'm not minimizing that, but I mean, just think about that. Jesus died at 33. We don't often think that, right? I mean, that, that's a short life. And, and he had three years of active ministry, discipling, teaching the gospel, sharing the good news of the kingdom of God, and then going to the cross, which was his mission. And so in Ted Listi, the reason he's saying it is because literally his work is done. Do you remember whenever he was like 12 or 13, they found him in the the temple, and his parents said, uh, why are you here? And he said, well, where else would I be? Of course, I'm in my father's house, right? And now you have Jesus on the cross, and there's this idea of where else would I be? Of course, I'm paying for the sins of the world. In fact, he told his disciples before that that that's exactly what was gonna happen, that he would be crucified. Jesus is saying, Tadalistai, all my pre-resurrection work is done. The second thing is uh, that Jesus had suffered, right? And, and I, I, we talked about this a little bit before, but um, all of us know suffering. But there's a funny thing. Some of us know suffering that, some of our suffering is public. It's obvious. You go, oof, I, you know, I hate that with, to hear that. You're going through that. Some of our suffering is private. And we often think of the public suffering of Jesus. We think about how the soldiers, you know, mocked him and spit on him and slapped him and how, you know, the, the, the people yelled, crucify him, crucify him, you know, because uh, we're so full of sin and hate. And you think about mocking on the cross and the crown of thorns, everything that happened, being stripped naked of his clothes. Um, and yet... We don't even know the fullness of Jesus's, I call them passions. You know, passion means to suffer, his sufferings. 
you see him up on the mountain talking to his father in prayer, right? Is he suffering? You've seen him weep over Jerusalem, oh, woe to you, suffering. We don't even know, my point is, all the internal and external suffering, but we know this, that in that moment, Jesus' suffering was over. It was over. He had lived out his great passion of suffering. We know that Jesus had uh, full obedience to the Father. He says that earlier in the Gospel of John, right? He says, I have done everything you've commanded me to do. I've said every word to every person you've, you've told me to say those words to. Everything that we see recorded in scripture is a, a remembrance or a reminder of the ministry of Jesus that was perfect, that he had completed, that Jesus had been obedient in. And as a matter of fact, I would say, and this is gonna sound like a weird idea, but his faithful obedience. Do you ever think about Jesus living a life of faith? I have a tendency to go, well, he's the son of God, you know, like, you can't have faith if you're God, you're God, you, you, don't, you don't have faith, do you? What do you have faith in yourself? But Jesus indicates in his earthly ministry that there are things he's told to do and things he's told not to do, and he doesn't do the things he's told not to do, and he does the things he's told to do, even when it goes exactly against the grain of what people would expect. If you have not been shocked by Jesus's behavior in the scriptures, you've probably not read the gospels. They are not intuitive. This is some of the problem whenever we get in our own lives arrogant about what ought to be done because it's not always that obvious what ought to be done or ought not to be done. And Jesus lived a perfect life of faith and of faithful obedience. And now, so we're building toward the big thing and this is the big thing and we're not gonna get this today. But Jesus in saying the word on the cross, tetelestai, is making a cosmological claim. That's a big, fancy word that means uh, a word, logos, about the cosmos. It's a cosmological claim. When he says, it is finished, he means all of it is finished. I want to remind you today that Jesus is a Jew, and he was part of the culture of Judaism. He was a, a rabbi amongst, and he was, at first, Christianity was seen as a sect, S-E-C-T, of Judaism, right? And Jesus, in that moment, says, all these things are finished. The New Testament writers begin to reinterpret the entire Old Testament based on the truth of the gospel because he completed everything in the cross. This is actually what a whole bunch of the New Testament letters are about. They're, they're going, now wait a minute, if Jesus finished that work on the cross, then that means all these things are finished. The book of Hebrews is replete with the idea that Jesus accomplished what was unaccomplishable by anyone else on the cross. A, a cosmological shift, a cosmic shift. Literally, we said today in our song, the heavens tore open. Literally, the, the cosmology shifted in Jesus. There is no way, and this is what we get into, you start digging into this, there's no way we can articulate or fully understand what that means, except it's more profound than we could imagine. And Jesus said, Tetelestai. He did it. He did what no one could do. The cross of Christ 
his suffering and death does something that you and I can never do for ourselves. Never. I don't care how good you are. I don't care how, how much you try. I don't care how, how you, you, you know, it's not your fault. I don't care whatever. It's in the cross of Jesus Christ that we find full forgiveness, full atonement for all sins, and not just our sins, but all sin. All sin, I'm just gonna say this, of time, all sin of all people, and all, all sin of everyone on the cross. It's profound. That word, it is finished. The authors of the Bible and the New Testament write and rewrite and rewrite to try to understand and explain all that to new believers who have a tendency to fall back into old religious habits. No, it is finished. Then lastly, so that's the profound nature of what he says. Then lastly is this. Who's he talking to? Jesus on the cross? Who's he, who's he speaking to exactly? I think practically here, in my own mind, you had the soldiers who were there who crucified him. I don't know how close they are proximity. I don't know if they hung around this long. But they might have heard him say, Tadalistai, it is finished. As if Jesus was doing the job that they thought they were doing. It's done. They, they could have heard that for sure. Matter of fact, we have the testimony in the scriptures that after Jesus is dying, one of the soldiers said, surely this man is the son of God. They, they could see something was different in Jesus. Well, go beyond the soldiers, and you know we have um, Mary and the uh, women and uh, some disciples who are still there witnessing from you know, some distance away the crucifixion of Christ and his death on the cross, the crucifixion of Jesus, Mary's son, their rabbi and teacher, the one that they had hoped would be Messiah. And they heard the word from Jesus, Tetelestai. It's finished. I'm done. It's done. But there's something else happening here. Because I want to remind you, we started the series where Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. And so we know for a fact that Jesus is aware that one of the people in the audience of his hearing, of who can hear him, is his heavenly Father. And so you can imagine in the moment when Jesus is there and he's saying, Tell this die, he's proclaiming it to all of creation and including the Creator himself. To the Father, Dad, I'm done. It's done. Keep complaining that. He's not saying, I'm done. It's done. I did it. I finished it. I accomplished what you sent me here to do. And then lastly, to us. Well, we weren't there. Like what? The scriptures are recorded and maintained for us to understand what they mean, what they say. And what that means is that Jesus says to us today, it's finished on the cross. 
Why would we spend an entire morning talking about a word? Because it's done. Because he has finished it. He has completed the work. And we're going to unpack this in a minute here. But lest we worry about how we're going to get there, we already know Jesus did it. He finished it. The word is for us. Jesus tells us, Tetelestai. In our fears, he says, Tetelestai. In our hurts, he says, Tetelestai. In our longing for something more, he says, Tetelestai. It is finished. I wonder today, do you believe Jesus finished all that needed to be done for your salvation on his cross? When I ask that again, do you believe today that Jesus finished everything that was required for your salvation, your redemption on the cross. Because that's the Christian message. That's what the Bible teaches us. That's what Jesus says. It's finished. But I wonder, now, I'm gonna pull back from that cosmological reality and say, what about us? How does this work in our lives? I wonder today, are you a finisher? Do you have a hard time finishing things? If if you don't know this about me, I have a hard time finishing things. My wife's a finisher, you know, but do you struggle to finish it? I want to share a scripture with you from the Gospel of Luke, uh, chapter uh, 22, 42, I think we have it on the screen here. Yeah, there it is. It's awesome. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, I just want to remind you of this. Uh, how, do we get to be, how do we become finishers? All right, we're going to talk about that. Um, but that Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, said this prayer. Father, if you're willing, take this cup from me. Right? This is the night before his crucifixion. He knew he was going to be handed over, and he's asking what he wants. Father, I don't want this. But I want you to hear again, and I feel like I've said this a lot to you, but I want you to hear again the, the period on the end of his sentence. This is what his prayer sentence. He says this, yet not my will, but your will be done. And I wonder, as we hear that, does that mean that Jesus' will is not God's, the Father's will? That, that cannot be true. What is he doing? He's conforming his own will to his Father's. He's acknowledging the things that I wish were different, I want to be different. And then he says this, and th- we can learn so much from this from Jesus, that in that moment of distress, then we turn to Jesus, or to God our Father, and we say, but not what I want, Father, but what you want. I want to want what you want because it's better than what I could ever imagine. Sometimes we get hurt or, uh, and we think about all the things that should be different. But there's a truth in Scripture that God knows what he is doing. And so our best way to live our life is to say, Father, these are the things I want, but not what I want, like Jesus said, but what you want. He ends his prayer in the garden like that. You're going to, in your life, have a battle of wills. We're all going to have it. And we're going to either have our way or God's way. And if we don't conform our way to God's way, well, you know, we're going to live with the consequences. We're going to have either a small thing or a big thing. And that's kind of what I'm sitting up here, right? So you can have all these little things that you want, or you can have this great big thing that God wants for us. 
Or lastly, um, you, you can have your immediate desires fulfilled. You can just, you know, get the fix, get the fix, get the fix, but you won't ever have your long-term needs fulfilled, right? You'll get all the stuff you want, you want, you want, but the things you need, you won't get because we're so busy doing the things that we want to do. We don't have time for long-term things. You know, I've um, talked to people often about um, faith and life and what that means and the big questions and the big picture and people are like, I don't have time for that. Now, I'm not saying we're gonna answer the question, but ought we not to sit back sometimes and go, we ought to think about the big things. We ought to think about the eternal things. I wanna ask you a question. As we hear Jesus' word ring in our ears, head list eye, what do you need to finish in your own life? What needs to be done while you're here in your life? Finished. I don't, I don't know what it is. It could be some personal thing you set out to do. Maybe um, you started school and you need to finish school. Maybe you need to finish the school year, right? Or finish that one class. Maybe you need to finish a project at work or finish a project at home. <laughs> That's me. whole bunch of things I need to finish. Maybe it's more profound than those practical daily things. I mean, those are great, but maybe you need to forgive someone. Maybe you're harboring something in your heart that you need to forgive. A dear friend of mine was doing end-of-life counseling with people, and he started to struggle because he said he was called in during the hospice days, and he would try to help people, and he, he lamented to me, Bill, there's not enough time. People's lives are too complicated to unpack it in a week or two. They can't get there. And so he went and he started serving in a long-term care facility, and he would spend months with people, right? I'm trying to help them unpack and make peace and, and get things finished, do the hard things they've been putting off their whole lives. And lo and behold, he comes and he ends up back in church ministry where he starts to help people that are younger say, hey, are you doing the hard things? Are you, are you, are you finishing the things that are important? that ought to be finished. How about maybe restoring a relationship, doing the hard thing? How about maybe um, a, learning some disciplines in your life that's gonna, that's gonna pay off in the future? Sacrifice today so that things are better tomorrow. Maybe you're gonna, uh, maybe there's someone that you love in your life and you, you pray for them and you wanna tell them about Jesus and you just don't know how. Are you gonna finish that? before your days are done? Are you gonna finish that work? Maybe you're gonna need to give something to someone, a gift, a blessing, your affirmation. Maybe there's something in your life that's an addiction or something you're really wrestling with. Maybe you need to finish that and deal with it. And maybe there's just sin, right? We're all caught up in this sin-filled world. Are you dealing with your sin? before it's finished. Your, your life, when you say at the end, Tetelestai, what needs to be done? 2 Corinthians 8, 11, I think I have it also on the screen here for you. It says, Paul writing to the church, I told you they're all reinterpreting, and he says this, now finish the work so that, with, so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. 
I'm going to give you a little context here in 2 Corinthians. The church in Corinth had promised to do support for another ministry. They were the first ones to say, I'm going to support that ministry. But Paul writes them to exhort them to complete the work. Tetelest die, finish it. And, and I don't think it applies just for gift giving in that case. That's what it is. But in anything we commit to, Paul's like, finish it so that your willingness to do it initially will be matched by your completion of it. How many of us start a journey in life and we don't finish the journey? He's encouraging the church in Corinth to follow through on their commitments. In fact, to finish well. So then one other scripture I want to share with you is from uh, the book of Galatians, chapter 5, verse 7. Paul says this to the church. uh, You were running a good race. Who cut in on you and kept you from obeying the truth? And that verse always hits me kind of funny because I think, man, I felt like I was doing better before. And then you feel like you're not. You're like, I, I think I had things figured out more before and now I don't know that I do. And I love that exhortation of Paul saying, you were doing great. Who, who interrupted that? But he didn't just say interrupted whatever. I wanna say a couple of things here. He says, who interrupted, um, who, who interrupted you from obeying the truth? Because that's what we're called to do. I mean, we're not called to do something God hasn't told us to do. We're not called to do something that God hasn't revealed to us ought to be done, that kind of thing that's blank in your gut. You're like, oh, that's not right. I I need to do it. I got to do it. But Paul's like, you were doing great. Just do it. Finish it. But I want to show you something else in this passage. He says, uh, you were running a good race. That You have a race pointed out for you, appointed for you. That, That in your race that God had you on, you were doing well. He's exhorting you. Run your race with faith. Do you find yourself obeying the higher callings in your life? Or are you a slave to the daily grind? Do do you have time and space to look at the big picture stuff and really consider the highest callings that God has given you? This might be because I'm an old man, right? I'm becoming an old man like all of us are aging, you know? You start to realize that, oh man, I've been focused on not the important things. So we start to focus on the important things. How then do we complete it? Because I don't want you to leave here going, okay, I gotta try harder and do more. I want you to see again, Tetelestai is manifest in scripture. So um, the first thing I'm gonna do is I'm gonna, I'm gonna actually ask you to turn to Hebrews 12, one through three, if you have your Bible. And you'll, this will be a familiar passage to you. But before I read this, I actually want to read from Hebrews 7, uh, 25 and, uh, let's see here, 25 and 20, 25 to 27. I'm going to come back to that uh, Hebrews 12 thing because I want you to see what it says here. Um, let's see, 25, 27, okay. Therefore, he, Jesus, is able to save completely those who come to God through him, Jesus, because he always lives to intercede for them. That's us. Means that after Jesus, I said his pre-resurrection ministry, now post-resurrection, Jesus is interceding with the Father for us, and he always lives to do it. He's eternally alive. Verse 26, such a high priest meets our needs, one who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. Unlike other priests, other high priests, he does not need to offer sacrifices day after day after day, first for his own sin and then for the sins of the people. 
Jesus sacrificed for their sins once for all when he gave himself. That's the completion in the cross. Matter of fact, if you read the entire book of Hebrews, you'd be blown away by how much it's, it's making this point that the work is done, the work is done. Now let's go to Hebrews 12. You've heard this before. Therefore, because we have this great high priest who paid the price. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, talked about all the Old Testament prophets, all the people who came before us, and God used them in their faithfulness, right? And he, he finished the work. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that will so easily entangle us and let us run with perseverance the race, here it is again, marked out for us. That God has marked out a race for us in our lives and we're getting tripped up in sin and tripped up in the daily. And he's like, no, run out the race marked out for you. Verse two, let, how do we do it? Here it is. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus. That's how you do it. Like the daily. How do you take time to do the important things? You fix your eyes on Jesus. You, you, you pause life long enough to think about what's really going on. Eternal things. What does the word say? He's the author and the perfecter of our faith. He is the beginning and the end of our faith. He's the one that came before. He's a trailblazer. And he's the one that brings the culmination, the finisher of our faith. Who? Jesus, for the joy set before him, endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Then, so we got our eyes fixed on Jesus, consider him who endured such opposition from sinful man, here's what it says, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. I wanna just, for a minute, we will have a tendency to grow weary and lose heart unless we fix our eyes on Jesus, unless we consider his suffering and completion in the cross. That's the call. Consider Jesus who endured such suffering so that we won't grow weary and lose heart. Here's a simple translation. Don't quit. Don't quit. Life's hard. Yeah, don't quit. Fix your eyes on Jesus. Consider what he suffered to perfect us. Don't quit. How am I going to get it done before I die? You will get it done before you die in Christ. Be obedient, faithfully obedient to the truth. Follow him and you will complete the things he set out for you. And by the way, it may not be the things the world says you ought to be doing. Last verse, Philippians 1.6. Paul says this about the church. I thank my God for you, and I always pray with joy, Paul. Oh, God bless you, Paul. Always pray with joy. Why? Being confident of this, hear the word, that he who began the good work in you will carry it on to completion. Completion. You know what that word is? It's not tetelestai. It's the same root word, teleos. It means he is going to finish what he started. You look back and you go, oh man, I was used to have it together. No, Christ is going to finish the work in you because he has done it. He will finish the work. Jesus finishes the work in us. Jesus finished all the work on the cross. And I want you to hear this morning that in his cross, we are truly free. Free. No longer slaves to sin. Free. Pray with me if you would.
Father God, for the truth of your word and the way that you have called us out of slavery into freedom and out of darkness into light, I pray this morning that we would just humble ourselves again and resubmit to you, that we would recognize again your goodness and your purpose. And that, Father, this life journey uh, is long and wandering, but Lord, I pray that in our wandering, we would come back to you, that we would fix our eyes on you. Father, forgive us for the times that we have taken our eyes off, but honestly, Lord, I know the forgiveness is there. In your cross, everything is forgiven. In your cross, every hope is realized. Father, would you teach us in our hearts the profoundness of that? And would you cause us then to live faithfully with the days we have until we might say, Tadalistai. We love you so much. We thank you, Father, for your word and the power and profound nature of what you teach us. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. <laughs>